And let's pray and ask God for his help. Our Father and our God, we do thank and praise you for giving us your word. We ask, Father, that you would please teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and train us in righteousness that we may be thoroughly equipped to live our lives pleasing to you. Help us to understand what your word says and what it means for us so that we can respond rightly. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's uh, have a look at this picture. Thanks, Carrie. This is a, a couple in Victoria, and they're looking out over all of their worldly possessions, their house, their car, all the stuff that they've ever owned. Not a whole heap left, is there? It was a, a bushfire that came through. Thanks, Carrie. How would you feel if it were you? Not just you, Carrie, I mean you, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> How would you feel if it were you, if you lost everything? How would you feel if everything you've ever worked for went up in smoke in a bushfire? Or if everything you ever worked for was uh, washed away in a flood or tsunami or, or blown away by a cyclone or destroyed by war or famine or earthquake? How would you feel? Seems to me, as uh, I've experienced over 14 years of ministry, people who have lost it all... Basically, there are three kinds of reaction that I see. Firstly, there's the classic Australian reaction, and that is to just tough it out. Just handle it. See it as a test of your character and courage. Put on a brave face and keep going. Uh, second reaction I often see is the reaction of amazement and surprise. How could God do this to me? Or, how is it, what have I done wrong that this terrible thing could happen to me? There's this surprise that it could possibly happen. Or, or the third reaction I often see is anger. Anger perhaps with God. How could God do this to me? Or, or anger with the world. Or there's this sense that I've worked so hard, I've got all this stuff, and now it's gone. I'm angry and bitter about it. What do you think? God's role is in disaster? Do you think God sends cyclones? God sends bushfires? Or do you think it's maybe the devil who does that kind of thing? Or is it just nature's way, a simple twist of fate? Our lives are very fragile, aren't they? Disaster can strike in so many ways. And, and even if we don't get hit by a bushfire or a flood or it's an army or something like that, Reality is we are ultimately all going to lose everything anyway, aren't we? Sickness, old age, death, it's going to take away everything we've worked so hard for, every possession, every relationship. We're going to lose all of it. So how should we react? How should we feel? How should we feel about God? What do we do when we lose everything? Whose fault is it? How should we react? Well, at the time of the book of Joel... Israel were in the process of losing everything. They were in the middle of a locust plague. Now, do you know what locusts are? They're kind of a, a, a bug. They're like a, a grasshopper. Um, Rebecca this morning had some little crickets. Um, they're kind of like crickets on steroids or something like that. Okay? They're, 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 they're big grasshopper kind of things. And the thing about um, locusts, and the Australian plague locusts are one of the worst examples of this, is um, given certain conditions, they will breed like crazy and you can get billions and billions of them, and then 
they form a plague, and then as they form a plague, the scientists don't know exactly how this happens, but it's something to do with them bumping off each other or something like that. It actually changes them. They have this metamorphosis. They change colour. They get really, really big, and they get ravenously hungry. Okay? Imagine like teenage boys or something like that. Okay? And so you get billions of locusts, play, billions of locusts who, each of which eats about one-third of its body weight each day, like a teenage boy, and basically they destroy everything in their path. They eat any vegetation in their way. Luckily, they're not carnivorous, so they eat people as well. But, but if there's a tree, if there's grass, if there's crops, they will scoff down the lot. Now, even today, locust plagues can be devastating. You can see government websites that try to determine where larvae will be and stuff like that because if you don't stop a locust plague before it starts, even today, you can't stop it. Once it's going, no amount of pesticide, no amount of anything will stop a locust plague. Uh, even today, locust plagues can cause billions and billions of dollars worth of damage. The thing is, in the ancient world, it was much worse. In the ancient world, most people, of course, were subsistence farmers. They just farmed what they ate. And a locust plague could destroy all of their crops, and that meant famine. It meant that you will die. And you will watch as your children slowly starved to death. They didn't have any crops from last season in the fridge. There was no possibility of someone hopping on an aeroplane and bringing in some international aid or something like that. The locusts come through, they eat everything, and you and your family and everyone you know starves to death. It's a, a terrifying, terrifying image for the people of those days. It meant they lost everything. Now, we don't know exactly when Joel wrote this book. We don't have any clues about date. I mean, there's a temple, so it must be during the time of the temple. But basically, we don't know if it's the first temple or the second temple. It could have been any time uh, in, in sort of Old Testament times. We don't know anything about the time it's written. We don't know anything about Joel himself, uh, except that his dad, Pethuel, had good taste in names. But other than that, we know nothing about him. But what we do know is that the book is set during this terrible locust plague. Well, let's have a look at the book. Let's kind of race through these two chapters. Uh, Joel starts off with an amazing claim. He says that the Lord, the God of Israel, is speaking through him. Joel chapter 1 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Joel chapter 1 and verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. And Joel describes the situation. He says that the, the locust plague has begun and the places where the locusts have been are decimated, destroyed. The locusts have left nothing behind. Everywhere they've gone, they've ruined Everything. Verse 2. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? Tell it to your children. Let your children tell it to their children. Let their children tell it to the next generation what the locust swarm has left, the great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, the other locusts have eaten. Nothing left. Joel then calls to the, the drunks in Israel and he says, wake up and weep because all your wine is gone. The locusts have eaten the grapevines and the fig trees. Verse 5. Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. 
A nation has invaded my land, powerful and without number. It has the teeth of a lion, the fangs of a lioness. It has laid waste my vines and ruined my fig trees. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it away, leaving their branches white. Joel then turns to the people of Israel. And he talks about their temple worship. He says, you guys need to mourn because temple worship is no longer possible for you. You can't make grain offerings because the locusts ate all your grain. You can't make drink offerings because the locusts ate all your fruit. You can't even add oil to your sacrifices because the locusts have eaten all of the olive trees. Temple worship is now impossible. Your priests are going to starve. Start mourning. Verse 8. Mourn like a virgin in sackcloth, grieving for the husband of her youth. Grain offerings and drink offerings are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests are in mourning, those who minister before the Lord. The fields are ruined. The ground is dried up. The grain is destroyed. The new wine is dried up. The oil fails. Joel turns to the farmers and he says, Despair. Give up thinking that you can do anything about this. Give up thinking that you can handle this. All your crops have failed. There is no food, no income, no joy left for you. Verse 11. Despair, you farmers. Wail, you vine growers. Grieve for the wheat and the barley because the harvest of the field is destroyed. The vine is dried up and the fig tree is withered. The pomegranate, the palm and the apple tree, all the trees of the field are dried up. Surely the joy of mankind is withered away. Now Joel turns to the priests and he says, what you've got to do, you've got to get all the people to come to the temple. You've got to fast. You've got to pray to God for mercy. Verse 13. Put on sackcloth, O priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come, spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Do you get the scene? Do you get the picture of what's happening here in Joel? that the locusts are devastating the land and Joel is calling on the people to to grieve and to to turn to God in this awful time. But the thing is, this is just the beginning. Worse is still to come. There is more land to destroy, more crops to eat. Joel talks about how terrible the, the, the locust plague is going to get and he describes it as... Judgment Day. He describes it as the day of the Lord. And notice he doesn't call it the day of the devil. He doesn't call it the day of a freak accident. He doesn't call it the day of Mother Nature. He says it is the day of the Lord. Verse 15. Alas for that day. For the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Joel then describes again how bad things are. He says food has been cut off, man and animal are suffering, but he says it's going to get worse. This day of the Lord is coming, and so Joel calls on Israel to to sound the alarm and to, to tremble with fear. Verse 16. 
Has not the food been cut off before our very eyes? Joy and gladness from the house of our God. The seeds are shriveled beneath the clods. The storehouses are in ruins. The granaries have been broken down for the grain has dried up. How the cattle moan. The herds mill about because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of sheep are suffering. To you, O Lord, I call for fire has devoured the open pastures and flames have burned up all the trees of the field. Even the wild animals pant for you. The streams of water have dried up and fire has devoured the open pastures. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy hill. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness. And this, this image for Israel must have been terrifying. I'm going to show you in a few minutes a, a, a YouTube of, of a locust plague, but get on and have a look at some of the YouTubes of, of locust plagues. They are terrifying. They just, they, billions of locusts come across and they basically just blacken the sky. It's this sort of image of darkness and gloom, clouds and blackness as the, the locusts come in and, and attack everything. And now Joel continues with this this vivid imagery and he, he picks it up even more, this terrible imagery and he describes the locust plague that's still to come and he says these locusts, they're like a, a, a mighty army. They're going to come and they're going to... Well, have a look at the image here, halfway through verse 2. Like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old nor ever will be in ages to come. Before them, fire devours. Behind them, a flame blazes. Before them, the land is like the Garden of Eden. Behind them, a desert waste. Nothing escapes them. A powerful image, don't you reckon? Garden of Eden to desert, once the locusts have been through. Absolutely devastating. And not only absolutely devastating, you cannot stop them. Nothing you can do about it. They go everywhere. Verse 4. They have the appearance of horses. They gallop along like cavalry. With a noise like that of chariots, they leap over the mountaintops like a crackling fire consuming stubble, like a mighty army drawn up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face turns pale. They charge like warriors. They scale walls like soldiers. They all march in line, not swerving from their course. They do not jostle each other. Each marches straight ahead. They plunge through defences without breaking ranks. They rush upon the city, they run along the wall, they climb into the houses like thieves, they enter through the windows. It was in 2010 that there was a locust plague in New South Wales, which then went down to Victoria and uh, it actually reached the city of Melbourne itself. And there's a website where everybody could send in their locust stories of where they found locusts in the most amazing places. You go to the, to the cupboard and in the pantry and in this sealed jar, five months after the locust plague, you find a locust dead or something like that. They just get everywhere. You cannot stop them. Well, that's what's coming. He said, his, Joel goes on to say that it is so terrifying that even creation itself shrinks before this army. The world itself trembles before this army of locusts. But notice again who's in control. It's not the devil's army. It's not some accident of Mother Nature. No, no, this is the Lord's army. God is in control. Verse 10. Before them the earth shakes, the sky trembles, the sun and moon are darkened, and the stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders at the head of his army. His forces are beyond number and mighty are those who obey his command. The day of the Lord is great. It is dreadful. Who can endure it? 
how would you feel? This is a scary picture, isn't it? You've already seen decimation wherever the locusts have been. You've seen that they cannot be stopped. They've already destroyed everywhere they've been and now Joel is telling you that worse is still to come. It's going to be so bad. It's like judgment day. must have been terrifying. This image of the, the black clouds come of these locusts who are going to eat everything and leave you to starve to death. They must have been shaking in their boots. So what should they do? How should Israel react? God says, return to me. Fast and weep and mourn, but not just as a religious ritual. Do it as a way of expressing genuine repentance. Verse 12. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. Turn to me, says God. But why would you? Joel's just told you God is the one at the, at the head of the locust plague. God is the one who's bringing this judgment on you. He is in control. It's his army. Is this not like trying to pat the dog that's biting you or something like that? Why would you turn to God in this time? Well, Joel gives reasons. He's first, he says, first, it's because the God who is a God of judgment is also a God of mercy. And he says, second, because God is the one who is sending the disaster, God is the one who is able to stop the disaster. And if it's out of God's control, there's no point praying to God about it. But it's in his control, and he could stop it. Halfway through verse 13. Return to the Lord your God, why? For he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And why else? He relents from sending calamity. And Joel goes on to say, you never know. God might relent. He might leave something behind. Maybe you won't have to watch your children starve to death before you. It's possible that God could spare you. But notice it's only a maybe. God's not an idol. It's not like you turn to God and he has to do what you say. It's not like you, you, you say some magic words and God has to perform like a dancing bear. God will do what he wants. But you just never know what God wants may be for his people to pray so he can graciously show them mercy in response to their prayers. Verse 14. Who knows... He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. You see the reasons? God's the only one who can stop the plague. God is a God of mercy as well as judgment and he might choose to use the prayers of his people to stop the plague. And so Joel says, get onto it, do it, drop everything, call out to God. I don't care if you've got a baby on the breast. I don't care if you're standing in the aisle waiting for your wedding. Drop everything, come to the temple, pray to God. Verse 15, blow the trumpet in Zion, declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, gather the people, consecrate the assembly, bring together the elders, gather the children, those nursing at the breast, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber, let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar, let them say, spare your people, O Lord. 
Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And that's where we leave it for today. Can you feel the suspense at this point? What is God going to do? Is the day of the Lord coming? Is he going to utterly destroy his people Israel with this incredible black cloud army? Will the locusts come and the day of the Lord be there and and Israel be finished? What are Israel going to do? Are they going to despair? Are they going to stop trying to save themselves? Are they going to rend their hearts and not their garments? Are they going to come together and, and, and cry out to God for mercy? What's going to happen? We need to wait till next week to find out. Come back. Do you see what the passage is all about? All, all about? This locust plague has come. It's going to get worse. Israel need to cry out to God for mercy. Now, I've got to say, I look at this passage and it strikes me as un-Australian. What Joel is saying here, it is very different to how we in Australia respond to disaster. I mean, firstly, the way Joel says that God did it. The Lord is thundering at the head of this army of locusts. This plague is the day of the Lord. You would never hear that sort of thing said in Australia, would you? You have a locust plague and you watch Q&A on ABC. There's never going to be any sane person sitting on Q&A saying, yes, it was the Lord who brought destruction and plague upon the... It's never going to happen. The only person who says that has got a board in front of them and behind them and they're walking up and down the street saying, you know, the end of the world is nigh. It's only crazy people in Australia who would say that God is in control of a locust plague. For the vast majority of Australians, it's just the luck of the draw. God doesn't send disaster. It's just nature's way. Even many Christians would hesitate from saying that God is the one who sends disaster. Maybe they'd say the devil did it, or maybe they'd say God has kind of allowed it to happen. No, no. God does it. It's un-Australian. Also, this reaction that Joel calls for, where he says, head off to church, search yourself for sin to repent of, turn to God, fast, pray... Very few Australians who would do that kind of thing. Imagine the locust plague comes, you're watching Q&A. There's nobody who's going to say everyone should go to church and repent and fast and, and, and tear their clothes. And it's not going to happen. Un-Australian, what Joel is saying. Have a look at this video. Thanks, uh, Carrie. A plague of biblical proportions as locusts invade New South Wales in Australia. The swarms could cause billions of Aussie dollars in damage to the agricultural industry. Some grim forecasts have predicted that the area affected could be the size of Spain. And this in a country that suffered from years of drought. But farmer Scott Mitchell is putting a brave face on it. One natural disaster, this is just yeah, something else we have to put up with. I don't think you can break a farmer's heart, but it just, um, yeah, the bank man gets a bit more upset. Better than expected rainfall across most of the country in the winter created perfect conditions for eggs to be laid. Now hot weather and an abundance of food have allowed the young nymphs to mature. Authorities have begun an aerial pesticide spray over areas where the locusts are moving slowly, hoping that they catch them in time to save the harvest. Well, there's the Australian reaction. Who caused the disaster? It's just nature's way, isn't it? Better than average rainfall in winter after the drought causes the nymphs to... Of course, that's all true, but no question of who is behind it or or what's the meaning of it. 
and how do Australians react? What, what do they do in the face of disaster? Well, Farmer Scott Mitchell is putting a brave face on it. Another natural disaster. This is just something else we have to put up with. I don't think you can break a farmer's heart. That's the Australian way. Don't bring God into it, just tough it out. You can't break an Aussie farmer's heart. Of course, the fact that the suicide rate among farm workers in Australia is more than double that of the rest of the population may have something to do with this kind of reaction. It's not easy to just tough it out with no hope. Or, or I think of the uh, reaction to the Queensland floods in 2010-2011. Prime Minister Julia Gillard spoke in Parliament. Uh, Ms Gillard said that the disasters have taken a heavy toll on Australians. Remember the floods just a couple of years ago, how dreadful they were, many people killed. But she said, this summer will be remembered as a time of heroic actions and courage. She held aloft in Parliament a, a muddy Australian flag. It had been found in uh, Murphy's Creek by an Australian Army Black Hawk helicopter crew as they were searching for missing people. And uh, they'd given it to, to, to Julia Gillard and she said, I'm honoured to have this flag. She said, they gave it to me because it was a powerful symbol for them. It spoke to them of courage, of what it means to face the elements, of what it means to be hurt, of what it means to endure, of what it means to be an Australian. It's all very un-Australian, this book of Joel, isn't it? To see God's hand in disaster and to see, our, to see it not as an opportunity for us to show how brave and courageous and wonderful we are, but to see ourselves as helpless and needing God to save us. The thing is, Joel chapter 1, verse 1, this is the word of the Lord. Whether it's un-Australian or not, this is the truth, and it continues to be the truth. God says, I am the cause of natural disaster. God says, there is only one God, and I am and in control of all things. It's true in the New Testament as well. Uh, we may not know why God sends natural disaster. I don't think it is right that we can uh, point out specific sin as, uh, as being the cause of some disaster. Um, even Joel himself here, he doesn't say this is happening because you know, you're having a Mardi Gras in Israel or something like that. Does he, he doesn't point out specific sins. He just says, God did it. You've got to turn to him. I don't think we can know necessarily why disasters happen, but we know God did it and we know we should turn to him. So what will you do when disaster strikes? It might be some major natural disaster that takes away everything you have. Or it might be just your own small personal disaster as God takes away everything you have through sickness or old age or death. How are you going to face it? Are you going to be an Australian? Are you going to tough it out and see it as your opportunity to show how strong you are? Will you be surprised? As if disaster happened. How could that possibly be the case? I don't think there's any possible reason we should be surprised. That right through the Bible we are told that disaster is coming. Jesus himself says, in this world you will have trouble. 
Are you going to be angry with God when disaster strikes? How dare God take away from me all of the things that I've worked so hard to get? Of course, that's not appropriate, is it? God gave it to us in the first place. It all belongs to him. He gave it. He can take it away. Do you remember what Job said when he lost everything? Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will return. The Lord gave. The Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Friends, how are you going to react when it happens to you, when you lose everything? I pray that we will have learnt this lesson from the book of Joel, that we will know that God is in control of it and that we will turn to him in repentance and in faith and call on him for mercy. And what's going to happen when we do? What's going to happen when we genuinely repent and genuinely call on God for mercy? Answer, maybe nothing. Maybe it'll just get worse. God's not an idol. You can't control him. But he's the only one who can help, as Joel has told us. And he is a God of mercy as well as judgment, as Joel has told us. And it may be his will to use our prayers so that he relents. And of course, ultimately, in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that there will be full and final healing. We know that, don't we, as Christians? That God will finally answer our prayers, that there will be a new heaven, a new earth, where moth and rust don't destroy and thieves don't break in and steal and nothing can take away what he has won for us. Friends, what are you going to do when the day comes? I pray that we will turn to the only one who can help us in genuine repentance and faith and cry out to him for mercy. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we do praise you because you are the one true God in charge of all things, good and evil. Our Father, we pray that uh, when we lose everything, we will have the humility to acknowledge your sovereign goodness and grace and that we would turn to you in repentance and faith. Please give us the strength to do this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.